Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Job, the 36th chapter. Job chapter 36. We're talking about Elihu, and he's continuing to talk to Job and admonish him. And he's the most wise of all the friends that have come to Job. He had three friends, Zophar and Bildad and, and uh, uh, Eliphaz. And each one of them spoke of a different voice, voice of tradition, the voice of legalism, the voice of experience, and they all gave him their insight as to what was wrong with Job. And basically they were accusing him and saying, Job, if you were just not such a big hypocrite or such a big sinner, all these bad things wouldn't have happened to you. That's not very much exhortation when you're sick and have uh, smitten from the top of your head to the sole of your feet with sore boils. And... Uh, your family all gone, all your possessions gone. That's very little consolation. But Elihu is continuing to give Job at least uh, some uh, more wise uh, admonition and exhortation and also uh, to show him that he cannot say that he's righteous as God is righteous, that Job cannot say, well, God, I'm righteous. He might say that before others, but before God, we don't uh, often speak that way, do we? So, Elihu also proceeded, chapter 36 and verse 1, and said, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet uh, to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and will ascribe righteousness to my Maker. Evidently, Job had not ascribed righteousness to his Maker, but rather rather, uh, maintained his own righteousness before his Maker. And when he says from afar, he means from Uh, God's mighty works and not just from the ordinary uh, way of getting knowledge. He's getting his knowledge straight from the Lord. This chapter is going to show us that afflictions of the godly are disciplinary. That God does that to discipline us. That any affliction or suffering that we have is to help us to draw closer to God. Sometimes we have pain. It ought to make us think of the pain and the sufferings that Jesus went through. And it ought to make us uh, realize that uh, truly it's because of sin that sorrow and uh, pain and uh, tears and all these bad things uh, have come into the world and that one day we'll be delivered from all of them. And it's not on account of the sufferer's extraordinary guilt that sometimes these things happen to us, but to discipline us. It wasn't because Job was a greater greater a more guilty person than anyone else that this extraordinary suffering had come upon him. It says in verse 3, I will fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my maker. If he looked toward God, he would say, God is righteous. If he looked toward man or himself, he'd say, I'm sinful. And all my righteousnesses are filthy rags. Verse 4, he says, For truly my word shall not be false. As Job's friends were false. You remember Job's friends his three friends, their words were false in many respects. He says, He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. God's might lies especially in his strength and understanding. He is, notice the word mighty is repeated here. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He's not any respecter of persons. He doesn't despise any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. He has full understanding of every situation. Verse 6. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. 
He does not forsake the poor, and he does not forsake the righteous. Verse 7, he withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. He will not forsake those that are living right and that are his children. But with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. God will lift up the poor, and he will lift up the righteous, and exalt them as kings on the throne. We're not kings yet, but the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the redeemed shall be as kings and priests, and they shall reign with him on the earth. And so we're really uh, the potential rulers of all that is before us. That's what the Lord promises, all the redeemed. Verse 7, let's look at it again because there's another point I want to make. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. I like that part where it says he withdraweth not his eyes because it, it shows us that God is always looking upon us. And he sees everything that we do. And he knows whether it's good or bad. In fact, in the last chapter, if you remember, in verse uh, verses 21, well, yeah, uh, two chapters back, chapter 34, verses 21 and 22, it says, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness, no shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So God's eyes are upon the ways of man. And back in 36, verse 7, he withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. But with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them. They're established forever. And they are exalted. They're established. They're exalted. They shall reign as kings. You know, when you take a verse like that, let's just look at it and kind of uh, analyze it just a moment. It says, he withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. That's one point. Look. But with, with kings they are on the throne. That's another point. And then, look at this. Yea, he doth establish them forever. They're established. And then the last point, and they are exalted, he lifts them up. When you look at a verse like that, look at each and every fact of, of uh, truth that is presented. Verse 8 says, And if they be bound in fetters, and be holden in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that uh, they have exceeded. God is uh, disciplining all that are bound in fetters and held in cords of affliction. And God will show them their works and their transgressions, you know, through afflictions and through all of these things that happen to us. He shows us our works. He shows us our transgressions. And then verse 10 says, He openeth also their ear to discipline. In other words, He wants us to hear that we might understand and commandeth that they return from iniquity. In other words, bring about repentance in our lives. See, that's what God's Word is for. And you know, the more people hear God's Word, the more they're going to be brought, as Brother Randy said earlier. It has a, an effect of bringing us closer to Him and filtering out the bad things of our lives. And right here, it tells us that, doesn't it? When anything happens to us, God's disciplining action upon us God chastens and corrects and guides and directs and commands. And he says he openeth their ear to discipline. It doesn't mean just our outer ear. It means the ears of our understanding and heart. So that we hear and understand that God is dealing in all things of our lives. You see, there's not anything that happens to us that God is not in control of. 
And sometimes we forget that. We think, well, this is just an accident or a happens old thing. No, God has everything under his control. And everything under the sun is for a purpose. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we wonder why we hurt or have pain or suffer or have sickness, have problems, have trials, have uh, bereavement, have all the things that do happen in our lives. But God is in control. And He knows what is best for us. And sometimes He brings the best out of the worst. And man's uh, oppression and man's adversity is God's opportunity to do something with us and for us. You look at your own life and you say, well, what good is this in my life? Well, there's there. God has a purpose for it all. And look at those verses again. And I'll just read them. You take, take them to heart. If they be bound, verse 8, in fetters. In other words, if fetters hold you. And be holden in cords of affliction. Then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline. Now look. And commandeth that they return from iniquity. God does it all for our good. These two next two verses need to be read together. If they obey and serve Him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. I like that. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. You see, God has given us a choice in the matter, obedience or disobedience. We sing a song, don't we? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And here it says, if they obey and serve Him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword. In other words, tragedy will come. And it says, and they shall die without knowledge. It means on account of their foolishness, they shall die without knowledge. They'll die on account of their foolishness. Let me give you a reference. I think it's uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 and uh, 20. Isaiah 1, verse 19. It says, if you be willing and obedient... Willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. See those two verses? They're much like what we read in, in, the, in the, uh, the book of Job. If you be willing and obedient. Before that, you see, before that in verse 18, uh, Isaiah 1, 18, it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. God wants to talk this over with us, reason with us. Uh, though your sins <clears throat> be as scarlet, they shall be uh, as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So God is forgiving. He says, come and, and we'll talk it over and you'll be forgiven. You'll be cleansed. You'll be as white as snow and as, uh, as wool. And then he goes on to say, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And once you've come to the Lord, you receive forgiveness and cleansing. And you're pure in the, God, uh, in the sight of God, in God's sight, and you have God's righteousness. Then he tells you to obey. If you be willing and obedient as children of God, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God has given us choices in life. And you know, a lot of times we blame God for the bad things that have happened to us. We need to look in and examine ourselves. When something doesn't go right, I like to look inside and see what I did wrong. Because I know uh, most of the time there's something in here that I've done that 
has brought about the, the, the situation. And if it's not with me, it's with someone else. If people have done, we've done things that bring about the circumstances that are unpleasant in our lives. So back in the book of Job, chapter 36 and verse 13 now. But the hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. They cry not when he bindeth them. He binds them with the fetters of affliction. The ungodly, he binds them with fetters of affliction. It says, uh, they heap up wrath. The hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. The ungodly, or the ungodly in heart, heap up wrath. They store it up and treasure it up. In Romans chapter 2, let's see if we can get it. Romans 2 and verse 5, listen to this. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, see, the ungodly in heart. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Wouldn't it be, isn't it a terrible thing for people to just be storing wrath up? We'd like to store up some good things, wouldn't we? But treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God? Just heap it up. And back in our text it says, chapter 36 of Job, but the hypocrites in heart or the ungodly in heart heap up wrath. They just keep piling it up and they're treasuring it up until the day of God's judgment when He will bring it all down upon us. You know, there's a lot of people that live wicked and ungodly lives and they think they're going to get by with it forever. God's in no hurry. He doesn't have to answer it immediately. And they're just treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath and the the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. They're just piling it up, one upon another, because of sin. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart, one heart, of the sons of men, evil hearts, because the sons of men have evil hearts, the heart, singular, of the sons, plural, of men, is fully set in them to do evil. Now, why? Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. So they just keep on treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Okay, Job 36, uh, verse uh, 14. They, they die in youth, and their life is among the unclean, or their life is among the permanently and uh, their... Uh, dishonorable, they die unclean, afflicted, it says in the marginal reference. In fact, if you want to know what the word unclean there means, in the marginal reference it actually says sodomites. They die in youth and their life is among the unclean or the sodomites. See, in the Bible, God condemns all kinds of illicit, illicit sexual relationships. and We make laws to protect them nowadays. And we ought to make laws to convict people of those kind of acts that are ungodly in our society and to punish them for such acts. In fact, did you know there are laws on the books of almost uh, a great many of the states, even today, that condemn sodomy and condemn adultery? I mean, it has to be punished, and yet society looks upon it as just another lifestyle and another something that goes on in the lives of human beings that does not mete out or bring any punishment due to it. But the law needs to either be changed or, 
or they need to enforce it, one of the two. And I think they ought to enforce it. That's my opinion. They ought to enforce it. I can remember when my dad was an officer here in Rio Dosa, and it was so seldom that you heard of any kind of an act of, of a homosexual act or sodomy or anything of that nature. It was unheard of. But it was on the books that the laws that if you if there was anyone ever found in such a situation, he was taken to court. He was judged and sentenced for uh, committing a crime. Not now. They're blatant and open. God's word tells us that the unclean are going to be punished. In verse uh, 15, he delivereth the poor in their in his affliction and openeth their ears in oppression. In other words, when they're afflicted, God opens their ears to seek God in repentance. He opens their ears so that they'll turn to Him. Verse 16, Even so would we have removed thee out of the strait into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which uh, should be set on thy table should be full of fatness. In other words, He expresses, the broad place here expresses liberty. God will make you make you free, set you free, and He'll give you abundance of supply. Look, set thy table should be full of fatness. Verse 17, But thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. God's judgment on the wicked will come, and then justice and judgment will closely follow uh, each other. If you deserve uh, to be... Vindicated, God will vindicate you, but if you deserve the judgment of God, which is upon the wicked, it will happen too. Because God is a just judge. Verse 18, Because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. How many times have you heard uh, uh, people say that money is power? But not with God. Doesn't make any difference to God how much money you you have. It's not any power to Him. Maybe power in this world. But look at this again, verse nineteen. Will He esteem thy riches? That's a question. No, not gold or all the forces of strength or all your wealth. He won't even count all your wealth. It doesn't matter to Him whether you have a little or a lot. It's not going to influence God one way or the other. Will. Will he esteem thy riches? He's not even going to count it. Verse 20 says, Desire not the night when people are cut off in their place. God had wished himself dead. He had wished for death. And, uh, God is saying through Elihu, Desire not the night or the place of death or when you're cut off. Verse 21, Take heed, regard not iniquity, take heed. In other words, it's presumptuous to speak against God. Regard not iniquity, for this hast thou chosen rather than affliction. Verse 22, Behold, God exalteth by his power. Who teacheth like him? God is able to exalt and he's able to teach. And he teaches through all these things that we've been studying. If something ever come about in your life and you say, Now what does God want me to know? He must be telling me something. And he does. And basically all of it, his counsel is found in his word, and we're just not listening to his word because these instructions that we're seeing now and all through the Proverbs, as Brother Randy taught Sunday evening, and as we teach from time to time all through the Sunday school in our church and in the services, 
Well, it gives us counsel and understanding. The psalmist said, guide, guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Guide me with thy counsel. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Another one says, Order my steps in thy way. In, the, in thy way. Now listen. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Not any of it. We need our steps ordered. Our very pathway. Every step we take. Order my steps in thy way. And in thy word. And let not any iniquity, I believe the actual wording there is, order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have uh, dominion over me. But we do find that he does indicate ordering our steps in his way as well. I believe that scripture is in Psalm 119, order my steps in thy word. All right, let's look at this now. It says, uh, verse 23, Who Who hath enjoined him... His way, or who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? Job had dared to prescribe to God what he should uh, do in previous places. And Elihu is saying, Who hath enjoined him his way, or who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? Was Job accusing God, or could any accuse God, as far as that goes? Remember that thou magnify, that thou magnify his work, which men behold. God's work is to be magnified. It says, Every man may see it, man may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. In other words, we only partially know God. Neither can the number of His years be searched out. We, with wondering admiration of God's greatness, it says, Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. We only, in part, know about God. You find people say, well, I really know all about God. You don't know all about God. You may know something about God. But no one knows all about God. Our mind cannot comprehend all about God. We have little finite minds and He's infinite. And it says, behold, God is great and we know Him not. It says, we can only... uh, Remember Paul says, now we know in part. We only know in part, do we not? He says, we prophesy in part. But when that is which is perfect has come, then that which is uh, in part shall be done away. And we find that uh, it says here, neither can the number of his years be searched out. Can you search out God's years? How long has God been? In Psalm 90, in verses 1 and 2, it says, uh, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. They had a bank advertisement up here in Albuquerque one time, talking about these mountains up here. And they indicated that the mountains, you know, were the eternal. But it says, before the mountains were brought forth, this bank was advertising. Some of you may remember it. And it's about, been about a year or two ago. Advertising, I think, one of these SunWest or some of the banks up there. I forget what they were at the time. And they showed the mountains as you go from uh, uh, Socorro back in there and had some pictures of them. But you see, God was before all mountains, before all creation, before all things. And they're not eternal. God made them. And that, that's the psalm we gave you. It says, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever 
uh, thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Another scripture, let's see if we can find it. In Psalm 102, begin with verse 24, it says, I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. God's years are throughout all generations. Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou uh, change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years uh, shall have no end. The gospel, not in the gospel, but in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, God speaks concerning Christ from this text. And he says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and thou shalt be, uh, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And he says, Unto the Son, he saith, and God is quoting these same things concerning the Son, that he is the creator of all things. He attributes all of creation to the Son of God. You know, if Jesus is not the Son of God, we don't have a Savior. If Jesus was not virgin-born, we don't have a Savior. If Jesus didn't pre-exist according to the Bible, we do not have a Savior. And people make light of saying, well, you Baptists come down, you believe in the deity of Christ, and you believe that Jesus pre-existed, you believe He's the Creator? Yes, we do. And if He wasn't, we don't have anything. Because the Bible says He's God manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And so all the testimony was of Christ, and of His glory, and of His creation. Uh, back in our... Uh, lesson in the book of Job, chapter 36. Job 36. It says in verse 26, Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. Neither can the number of His years be searched out. For He maketh small the drops of water. They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof. God takes all the water up, and He puts, them up in, puts it up in the clouds, and there are tons and tons of water up there. Tons and tons of water. And then what does he do? They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. God draws it all up there and then he puts it back down and refreshes the earth. There's eight and one third pounds per gallon of water. And you've heard people talk about an inch of rain. You know how much an inch of rain is? You wonder why some of these places are flooded where they have 22 inches of rain, 20 inches of rain. One inch of rain is a hundred tons of water on an acre. A hundred tons of water. And you put 22 inches of rain on one acre. I'm talking about one acre of land. You've got 2,200 tons of water. You drive a little pickup out here and it's a one ton pickup. You know what I mean? Load that thing full. 200 tons. Huh? That's a lot of water, isn't it? And then we wonder why. And we, we can't see it. The water falls down. It runs here and there and soaks in the ground. And we don't realize that in an inch of rain, the majesty and power of God 
and what he's really doing. How does he hold those hundreds of tons of water up in the heavens without them falling down? Because the law of gravity says it's something that heavy has to come down, doesn't it? But God holds it up there in the air and spin, suspends it in the air. And then we say, we know all about God. It says, behold, uh, God is great and we know him not. Okay, look at this. In verse 29. Also, can any understand the spreadings of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle? Can you understand the, the thunder and the noise that comes? That's the thunder. The noise of his tabernacle. God's dwelling place is everywhere in the heavens. All of it's his tabernacle. And he makes a noise there. And that noise comes to us in the form of a thunder. Behold, he spreadeth his light upon it, the lightning. And covereth the bottom of the sea, even reaches down into the depths of the sea. So God is God in the heavens and in the earth and in the, in the sea and under the sea as well. The bottom of the sea. Thunder and lightning come. By them, for by them judgeth he the people. He chastiseth the people. Did you know by God's reign or lack of reign? Or by God sending too much rain, he can be chased, it can be a chastening uh, to people. He chastens people. You say, well, you know all those floods back in the, in the other part of the world, to, uh, country today, that we've had in the last... You say, well, what's God doing? I'm not saying that everyone there that, that was in the flood or had damage done deserved punishment or judgment, but in the book of things, God wants to wake all of us up. It, even though it hasn't happened to us, it should be uh, something that will wake us up too. We haven't been flooded out, but the very fact that God can do that ought to wake us up. It doesn't have to touch us directly. Notice it says here, for by them judgeth he the people. The word judgeth here has to do with chastening or chastiseth. Judgeth is chastising. Chastising is judging or judgment from God. He giveth meat in abundance. He even gives us the food that we need in abundance. With clouds he covereth the light and commandeth it not to shine by the cloud that cometh betwixt. So he divides. He covers the light of the sun with the clouds that come. The noise thereof showeth concerning it. The cattle also concerning the vapor. The noise thereof showeth, showeth concerning it, the cattle also concerning the vapor. Even the animals, some animals seem to discern or to know when the storm is coming. You ever seen uh, the cattle out in the field and all of a sudden something happens to the herd of cattle and you say, what's going on? Well, they know the storm is coming. They know something's happening. Same way in the, in the jungles, you'll see... Uh, the birds and all the, the, the uh, creatures fleeing in a certain place. And they know a, a hurricane or something's coming. They, they're, they're heading for cover. be good if man had that much sense, wouldn't it? Get out of the way when something's coming. Well, the, it tells us that the beast... Knew. Okay, let's look at chapter 37. At this also uh, my heart trembleth. In other words, when he hears this thundering... And is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice. You know, the thunder is uh, spoken of as the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. 
When you think of God's all-embracing power, look in the book of, uh, let's see, it's Nahum. The book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. He's not going to acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds or the dust of his feet. Look at that. When you think of God's power, he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds or the dust of his feet. That's the way he puts it in the book of Nahum. And verse 4 says, He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. He can dry up the rivers in an instant as he did in the days of Moses or in the days of Joshua. You see, all this shows us the power and the might of God. Look in chapter 37 again, verse 3 now. He directeth it under the whole heaven. We're in Job 37. Always holds your place where we're studying. And look at the verses, because if you see these things with your eyes, it means a lot more to you. He directeth it under the whole heaven. God is directing the thundering and the lightning, and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roar. What do you have first? The, thund- the lightning, the, the, uh, you see a lightning flash, and then as long as the time takes to, for the noise to get to you, you hear the thunder roar. And if it's a great way off, it takes a good while for that noise to reach you. If it's close at hand, the lightning and the thunder is almost at the same instant, almost within a second. In fact, I think it's 1,142 feet. If it's that close to you, it's one second from the time you see the lightning till you hear the noise. That's pretty quick, isn't it? I've had it happen that close to me, haven't you? Sometimes a the lightning will strike and be very close by, and then instantly you hear the roar of the thunder. And God has control of all these things. You see, this is under God's control. People say, well, you know, he set the world in order, and, and you know, that's just a natural thing for it to happen. Well, it is, but God set it all there, and it tells us that by him all things are held together. Everything functions properly and orderly. Because God controls it. And if he didn't control it, it all would fall out of order and, and the, everything would be a chaos. It would be a calamity and a tragedy. And all the stars would be going every which direction. The sun and the moon and the earth and all the planets out of control. But God has them in their perfect place in the universe. And he's given them their purpose. Okay, look at verse uh, 4 again. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them with his voice when his voice is heard. He will not stay them. God is everywhere in the storm. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. Some people say, well, we understand all that. We know how it works. Well, God says we don't comprehend. I'd rather take his word for it that I don't know as much about it as some people claim to know. Hadn't you? It says in verse 6, For he saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth. He's about to say it here, too. I think it's coming. And he says, Likewise to the small rain and to the great rain of his strength. And it says, He sealeth up the hand of every man that all... Uh, men may know his work. He closeth up, sealeth up. The winter comes. 
God stops man's outdoor activities. He says, well, we can't do anything. Can't get outside. We can't get to town. We can't get to the job, right? He sealeth up by the hand of every man that all men may know his work. Then the beasts go into dens. What happens to the beasts in the wintertime? And remain in their places. Many lie torpid or in a state uh, in the dens in which they need no food. They just lay there like they go in hibernation. Others eat of the store that they put up for the winter. But God, God has a way of stopping things and slowing down progress, doesn't He? Sometimes we think, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and the other. Well, you know, if God wants you to, He can, wants to, He can just slow us down to a snail's pace. We won't be doing much of anything. He has the capability of doing that. Remember when they had the desert storm situation over there? And, I mean, because of the weather, they had to delay certain things. They said, well, look, that sand's blowing so hard now, we can't do anything. And it shut the enemy and uh, the, the aggressor and the one that was being attacked, it shut down both sides. He can even stop wars if he wants to. And he does. He puts a halt in them sometimes. It's in God's power to do as He pleases. He's mighty in power. He's omnipotent. And then it says, Then the beasts go into their dens and remain in their places. Out of the south cometh the whirlwind and cold uh, out of the north. By the breath of God, frost is given, ice producing, a north wind. The frost comes and the breath of the waters is straightened. Water is congealed into masses. The ice comes, doesn't it? When you... When you freeze the water, it expands one-eleventh of its uh, bulk in freezing. It just gets bigger, doesn't it? How many of you ever remember when you'd go out on the old days and get a milk bottle off the front porch in the winter time, and you'd find that little old, uh, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, others do, but you had that old milk bottle, quart milk bottle, and uh, it had a paper or cardboard cap in there. Right on the top. That's the way it's sealed. And you'd see that cap sticking up about two or three or four inches. It's just sticking way up there. The cream, just solid, just almost like ice cream. The cream about the third top of that milk anyway. It's good and rich a little further. Just standing up there. No seal at all. Just broke the seal and sitting up about that high. So it's something else, isn't it? What God is able to do. And His works in nature... In all that he has done. And look here. I want you to see. It says, Also by watering he weareth the thick cloud, and he scattereth his bright cloud. The cloud of his light. That means the lightning. And it is turned round about by his counsels. How does it happen? It's turned round about by his counsels that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world in the earth. It shows you God has control of the weather too, doesn't it? It says, He causeth it to come, whether for correction, or for His land, or for mercy. Why does God do, use these things of the heavens? Look, here you have the answer. He may bring it for correction. See that? For correction. If you have a marginal reference, it says a rod. His rod of correction. His, the things He does in nature sometimes can be for a rod of correction. Or for His land. For the good of the land. Or... For mercy, it may be because we need the water, need, need, need the benefits of His works. 
and he sends it for correction. How many times have you seen the old wheat farmer out there? And boy, it'd be about the latter part of May or June, and about time for harvest. And you just pray, and it doesn't come a hailstorm. You're really praying it doesn't rain right then because you can't get the combines out in the field to get the grain. And get too much rain and all be on the ground, and then you've lost your harvest, right? Well, see, God has, He says, I may send it for correction. My father in law never would cut wheat on Sunday. A lot of those farmers say, oh, we've got to get the wheat in. Brother, they'd go out there on Sunday and cut wheat. Next day, their combines were broke down. My father-in-law would get his men out there, and they'd be going around there getting all the wheat. They said, what happened? Well, one of our combines broke down. Well, if you'd let it rest on Sunday, maybe it wouldn't have broke down. You know, God has a way of working in those things. You say, well, did God make it break down? Well, I'm just taking him at his word. He said that he used these things for correction. And uh, if you observe the Lord's Day, He's going to honor it. If you don't have to go out and work, don't do it. If you're hired out to somebody and they expect you there, well, that's naturally nowadays you have to make meet your obligations and you're, you're, you can be Christ-like in being obedient to your Master in that way. But always remember there's God that's giving you the time and the job and, and you honor Him the best you can through those kind of circumstances and in those kind of circumstances.